right. Here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Science in between. Yes, correct. Uh, I'm Ollie. And I'm Scott. And, you know, I think we should probably, you know, start with the fact that we're just talking about our our metrics. That's kind of cool. We've Mm -hmm. like this this month, November 2023, we've had our second best month ever in terms of downloads, which is pretty awesome. We had this anomaly like a bunch of months ago, actually March 2021. Years ago. Yeah. Yeah. You know, almost almost three years ago, where we had like a ton of downloads, and we just couldn't figure out where everybody was coming from, and you know, it was bananas. And then this month is just you know a little bit behind that, and it's like, wow, look at us. Yep. So thank you to all the people who are listening. Yeah, that's, that's which is cool. appropriate because this is the post Thanksgiving episode. It is post Thanksgiving. You know, a little gratitude for people out there who are listening. Thanks. That's cool. Yes, it is cool. Yes, it, I I think I, I blogged about this recently. I just don't, I'm always amazed that like you know we just put this stuff out in the world, right? And yeah. you know whether it's you know my blog or our podcast or stuff, we're just putting stuff out there and seeing you know, and the fact that anybody finds it like meaningful or important or whatever is just to me, you know, awesome. It is awesome. Thank yep. you. Agreed. So. Uh, I'm I'm gonna throw this topic. You have something else to add? No, I was gonna uh, say I was gonna say. So, what's our awesomeness this week, Ollie? This week, you know, I've been thinking a lot about like math. All right, only, only uh, for a, a bunch of reasons. One is, uh, you know, I was thinking a little bit about my role as a, a science teacher because most of the stuff I've done, I taught I taught physics, and you taught physics, and so that's a little like a sort of intersection between math and, and, and science, probably the most math based of the sciences, I would say. Um, and I was thinking about how we hadn't really talked about like math education and the changes that are happening in math education and how they kind of, you know, resemble or not uh, the stuff that happens in science education. And so I thought that might be a really good conversation. I know you work closely with some uh, math educators up at, at Penn state. I, yeah. I work kind of with some folks, um, but I don't, they're not in our PDS. So I don't really uh, do anything in terms of like uh, supervision um, or, you know, none of them are my assessment class or anything like that. So it's, you know, I don't really intersect, intersect with those students very often, but I do work, you know, off and on with some of those, the faculty, um, not necessarily around um, math education, but around other things that we do on campus, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think there is this, um, I don't know, standard sort of assumption that um, that math and, and science are like sister disciplines or something, right? right? Like we talk about STEM and, and science and engineering obviously go clearly together. Um, but math's a little trickier because I think mathematicians have a very different way of thinking about math than science people who use math all the time. But think about it more like a tool for doing the work that they do. Whereas mathematicians don't like that. I don't think as a way of thinking about what math is like, they think of math as its own thing, not as something that serves science, um, which makes perfect sense. Um, But I, but I think this idea that they're, they're just sort of, Oh, math and science people just go together like peanut butter and jelly. And I think in many respects that's true, but there are ways in which it's not true. And I think, um, We'll probably talk about that a little bit, but the sort of, you know, we use the fancy terminology here, but the epistemic foundation of those two disciplines is very different. And as a result, the practices that that 
people who are interested in those areas engage in are very different. So they don't map. They they map, but not as cleanly as, as you would initially suspect. Yeah. So I kind of rummaged through the NCTM, the National Council uh, for Teachers of Mathematics, of Teachers of Mathematics. Yeah. Uh, not Did a foreign. Rummaging. Some math some rummaging. Rummage, yeah. And just to kind of see what, like, okay, what are... What are the math standards? And I here's what I went in expecting. I went in expecting um, because a lot of um, the science, you know, standards are really focused on like you know, practices, you know, science and engineering practices. I was expecting to see some practices in there, like practices mm-hmm. that math students would adopt, right? In sure. terms of um, and maybe if I dug into the standards a little bit more, um, I'd see that. But there, I mean, they have you know distinct content standards. You know, one around numbers and op- operations, algebra, geometry, measurement, and data analysis. So, but all of those, they as you dig into them, it, I'm seeing most of them are just you know like kind of like a laundry list of you know, expectations and understandings and, you know, those kinds of things. Like here, let's still understand numbers, ways of representing numbers, relationships, you know, not really embodied in practices, you know? Um, So I didn't see that. I thought maybe I'd see a little bit more like um, ways of being like uh, the, the ISTE standards adopted these like ways of being, a bunch of years ago, like you were going to be a knowledge creator. You were going to be a creative communicator. I didn't see that either um, in the uh, NCTAM standards. But one of the things I did think that I, that was really interesting was the teaching practices, yeah. like the focus on mathematics teaching practices. Because it's like, okay, we're still teaching the, this content, but how do we teach it? I think yeah. it's the one place where I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, uh, no, and, th- and I think there are more parallels here, though. I think they're interesting, even with the teaching practices, there's some really interesting distinctions between how we as uh, science people and math math people think about teaching those disciplines. Right. And I think there's some things that are distinctly uh, math here mm-hmm. that Absolutely. I think there's like one term that um, – so there's I'll, I'll I'll just go. Through, we can talk about each one of these. The first one is establish mathematics goals to focus learning. So it's really about like helping students, you know, set their own goals. Like what do they want to learn and what do they want to do? So sort of like this, you know, self determination, self directed learning type of thing that they're tr- trying to help students set their own goals. And I think that's pretty cool. That's something that we could probably steal a little bit in science, right? It's like you yeah, know, I'm not how- sure that that's what that says. But because it says effective teaching of mathematics establishes clear goals for the mathematics that students are learning. Oh, so it's not the students setting goals. Mm, I think not. Mm. Well, but it's interesting because it says establishes clear goals for the mathematics that students are learning. So so this is the reason or the or the purposes maybe of why you're learning what you're learning as opposed to just, you know, this week is we're solving quadratic equations like well what are quadratic equations useful for like what what are the goals of using that but maybe not i don't i don't know right i don't know i think it's interesting but um but <clears throat> i think what is interesting about this one too is i don't think we talk much at all about goals in ma- in science like we talk about when we talk about what we want 
kids to accomplish, we, we tend to talk about in terms, at least we, you and I talk about things like explanations, like building an explanation, not, we want them to, I mean, there are standards, right? So I think there's a tension there and standards can, can be thought of, of course, but I think, you know, one of the things we talk about is in the classic example of like an administrator coming to your room to do an observation, what's your objective, your goal should be on the board. And one of the things that we've talked about is, well, that's a mixed blessing, right? Like sometimes you don't want the kids to know exactly what the goal is because the goal is for them to develop an understanding of something. And you could put that up there, but it's not, it's not going to be standards aligned in the same way. So, um, you know, understanding why or what happens when sugar is heated on a hot plate, you could put that on the board. But that doesn't really get at, I think, what administrators are looking for. And it's not a, a, a typical goal. Goal, right. Yeah. I, I think from, yeah, I, I think that from when I when I read that, you know, I would hope that they would help the students set goals, right? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, I mean, this gets at one of the, I think, big differences between mathematics and science, which is mathematics is very much a... um it builds upon itself over sure. time. So you learn addition and subtraction, and then you learn multiplication and division, and then you learn, right? And, and you know, you need to know, now you can argue as you get further up the food chain there, like what things should, you know, do you need to have geometry before algebra, or algebra before geometry? And th- those things have been decided, generally speaking, for schooling, but but there is a, a really clear sequence. And in science, that is, I mean, we've developed a sequence, but it doesn't have anything to do with the disciplines themselves. It's not right, like it's, you have to learn chemistry before you learn physics or whatever, right? Yeah, there's Those an episode on that way back in like the teens <clears throat> right. someplace. We talked about that, you know. So that I that is one of the big differences, at least in the way that math is constructed in schools compared to science, is there is a clear sense that you need to do A before you do B. And, and you know, I mean, if you look at middle school science, for example, it's all over the place. Like you may do earth science first and right. then physical science and then biology, or you might do biology first and then physical, you know, or it might be spiraled and you'll do a little bit of each each year. So you wouldn't see that in math. You wouldn't see that sort of like, oh, we're just going to rearrange the or- order of the things that we're taught. Well, so we don't do a lot of goal setting, but I think that if we look at some of the other yeah. You no know, practices like here's one that, that I thought is I mean we've talked about this facilitate meaningful mathematical discourse. Yep. Like that. I mean we could change mathematical to scientific, right? Yep. And those would be, you know, very similar. So the idea is that effective teaching of mathematics facilitates discourse among students to build shared understanding of mathematical ideas by analyzing and comparing student approaches and arguments. Yep. Wow, yep. that is like spot on science education. Right right in our wheelhouse there. Absolutely. And I think um you know to pick another one they have this so the second one implement tasks that promote reasoning and problem solving. So I think this is both you can see the parallels here which is in science we want to pick a phenomenon that will drive understanding and engage students in, in trying to, to do analysis and understand this thing. But, but there's a grain size difference here. <clears throat> Mathematics thinks very much in terms of tasks, right? And the, right. the terms right in there. And we, as science folks think about phenomena and, and the, the big difference between a phenomenon and a task is largely the grain size. Like phenomena tend to be big, complicated things that you can't, 
ever get really to an answer on. You can decide what explanation you're going to accept as the explanation, but it's not like that's the final, okay, there's nothing else to be said about that. With tasks, I think the idea is that you can get to an endpoint. You can you can engage with this task and you can come up with a solution and people can come up with different solutions, but there are solutions. It's not a, and those solutions are, are final. They don't require um, revision over time. You can compare solutions, but it's a different notion. And those tasks can happen in one class period or even less than one class period. And again, that's very different than the way that we think about science. Yeah, definitely. Uh, here's another one where I think is is very similar. Uh, pose purposeful questions. Mm-hmm. So there's this idea that questioning, asking questions, is important. Um, but I, I think uh, maybe this there's some you know subtle differences. Here's the, how they unpack this: effective teaching of math, mathematics uses purposeful questions to assess and advance students' reasoning and sense making mm-hmm. about important mathematical ideas and relationships. So I think that you know there's a we. A little bit of uh, science DNA in there, right? A little bit of, you know, I mean, certainly the sense making and using questions to to drive those. I mean, we've had multiple episodes where we've talked about questions and back pocket questions and, you know, mm-hmm. the types of questions that we ask to help students, you know, build their understanding. Um, I think that what, for me, the idea is what what does it mean to be an important mathematical idea and relationship? One of the things that we try to do in terms of finding phenomena, things that our students are interested in, things that are important, things that are like, yeah. and I I don't necessarily see that here, but, you know, it might show up in one of these other um, teaching practices, but, you know. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I mean, I think there, there certainly are folks in the math education community who think a lot about that. Sure. About the idea of like grounding mathematical problems in, in real or in, in socially um, important problems or questions, um, but it doesn't seem to be directly a, a piece of the core of their teaching practices. I mean, one here that we can talk about is supporting productive struggle in I know. mathematics. I mean, that's yeah. a really good parallel to how we think or how we hope to think about science and engineering, right? Like engineering is fundamentally about failure and how you deal with failure, um, which is productive struggle. But I think with our explanations, it's the same thing. We want we want kids to struggle. We want kids to develop their own thinking, and that is hard and requires them to struggle and to come back to their ideas and struggle with them again. Right. right? So, so it is a it is developing a certain mental muscle of some kind to to recognize that when you're trying to solve or work on a problem in mathematics, there should be struggle, and when you're trying to develop an understanding of a phenomenon in science, there should be struggle. It's 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 a normal part of the learning process. I like that term, that productive struggle, right? I like that a lot because yeah. I think that, you know, it's it's probably adjacent to a lot of other things like grit and resilience and things, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's a, it's itself like a, a practice that, I mean, I'm sure you and I have engaged with enough mathematics, mathematical problems in our physics careers where we were like, oh yeah. That's productive struggle. Like we know what that yeah. feels like yeah. where, you know, you spend a few days thinking on a problem or you're walking or on campus and you're like going, you know, I've tried that and I've tried that and I've tried that. And it's like, you know, there's an answer and you can't figure it out. Right. Yeah. And you're like, and that, so one, it's the struggle part about it. Like you're, you know, struggling through it, but like you're trying different things 
productively because you're like, no, you're going to figure it out eventually. Yeah. You know, I just love that terminology. Um, and I see a lot of folks in, you know, the students that I work with who, you know, might be talking or like teachers who are, I work with who are like mathematics, have mathematics background. When they talk about productive struggle, they're talking about like, how do I get my students to, you know, to embrace that, right? And not just yeah. give up, right? Yeah. Well, and I would think it would be particularly difficult. I mean, it's it's got some parallels to science because we talk about the right answer thing. But in mathematics, I think it's got to be even tougher because there is a sense that mathematics has right answers yeah. and mathematics has um, correct procedures. Um, and maybe that's not as true as I imagine in my head. Maybe it's just the way that math uh, gets taught in the same way that it's the way that science gets taught. But there is a sense of like, you know, four plus five isn't sometimes eight and sometimes 14 and sometimes nine. It's always nine. And so uh, and I know that's simplistic, but um, but I think there is a sense that, you know, how do you deal with the fact that that mathematics on some level does have right answers? And how do you provide an opportunity for productive struggle with the idea that um, there is a correct answer so that you you're really talking about how did you get to that answer? And maybe that's the same, too, in, in the sense of like we focus a lot on process. But this idea of it's not so important that you get the right answer, but that you have a process that you understand that got you there and that you can use and it, it can help you when you move on to other kinds of problems. Well, I think that's one of the things that's embodied in one of some of the other practices. Like this one's like build procedural fluency from conceptual understanding. So one, I like the connection that they're mm -hmm. saying, okay, there's a conceptual understanding that students need to have and the fluency derives from that, right? Yeah. So like, it's not like, hey, let's just, you know, memorize multiplication tables or, or addition tables. It's like, you have to conceptually understand what those things are and then build the fluency from that. Mm -hmm. But then if you, if you think about this a little bit more, it says effective teaching of mathematics builds fluency with procedures on a foundation of conceptual understanding so that students over time become skillful in using procedures flexibly, Mm -hmm. as they solve contextual and mathematical problems. So they're like, okay, there's lots of different solutions out there that they just have to learn how to use them and move from one to the other to the other, which kind of gets at what you're talking about. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that emphasis on process is really interesting. And, you know, we talk about this in physics too, but, um, you know, this idea that in mathematics, you may have a problem that you're trying to solve and you may be able to solve it using sort of an algebraic approach or you might be able to solve it using a geometric approach or you might be able to solve it either way or a calculus based approach. Right. So right. there there. And in the same way in physics, we say, well, there are problems that, you know, you can apply energy, you can apply force uh, and, and those kinds of dynamics. Yeah, to mo the momentum. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> right. So you can apply different conceptual lenses to the problem that you're trying to solve. And all of them can be useful in helping you understand, but usually one is better at solving or helping you understand the problem better than another. And so developing that that procedural fluency and flexibility is important in both areas to to say, well, you know, all the world's a hammer or I've got a I've got a hammer and all the world's world's a nail, and you always right. just go around solving the problem with the thing that you have. Um so I think that idea of of understanding there are lots of ways to solve problems is really useful. Yeah, I, I, th I think the uh, one of the things, and this is in embedded in one of the other practices we talked about, was this, you know, about around the goal setting is around learning progressions. Like we talked about mm -hmm. learning progressions, you know, um, earlier in in our podcasting history, yes. you know, 
But I mean, so clearly they're like focusing on that kind of stuff too, right? They're sure. talking about like, you know, I mean, I, I mean, anybody, I guess, who's gone through some sort of math class knows that you have to learn, you know, adding before you learn subtracting and, mm-hmm. you know, so on. Um, I think it probably is a less, little less clear as what the learning progressions are in science, you know, than, than maybe they are in math. I don't know. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I think, you know, again, because, because mathematics is a highly structured discipline that is, um, you know, it, it isn't, um, it, it's, Math math is not um, is deductive, right? So it it has systems, and then you deduce from that how to do the next thing. Um, it it's structured that way from the from the jump, and um, and that's not you know math uh, science is really inductive in a lot of ways, right? A lot of it is looking at patterns of data and trying to to explain them or develop patterns of data and identify them. Um, and so that is a, those approaches mean very different things in terms of how the discipline operates. So, um, so I do think you know those those differences are important when when you're trying to help kids play this out because you can't you, not that you don't deduce things in science, but a lot of science is inductive. So I think that um, that's an important distinction. Um, and one, one of the other ones I want to talk about here is, well, I think we're going to end up talking about all of them, but the use and connect mathematical representations, like right. we, we talk about that in science a lot, the ability to sort of have a conceptual understanding of something. So an explanation, but also be able to tie that to say patterns and data and have different Modeling. ways of, right. yeah, exactly. Different ways of representing that data, whether that's models, whether that's different kinds of mathematical representations, whether that's pictures or or um maps right there's all sorts of different kinds of representations that we use in science to try and help us both understand the thing that we're trying to understand and express that understanding to other people so multiple representations is is really important obviously in mathematics but it is also in science i think that the the one the last one i think this we've talked about the rest of them but i think the last one that's on this list is one that i think if we just took out mathematics, it would be something that every single teacher should adopt. It's elicit and use evidence of student thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, like so. If I take the mathematics term out of this, it says effect. Effective teaching uses evidence of student thinking to assess progress towards understanding and to adjust instruction continually in ways that support and extend learning. Boom. That's yeah. what we want, right? I mean, that's yeah. the that's what I we mean, want. that's the definition of formative assessment, right? Is, yeah, is that absolutely. You're, you're gathering evidence of student thinking to make instructional decisions about how to move forward in into your next lesson or your next thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it really shows the importance of formative assessment for it to get like that dedicated practice. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. is cool. Right. No, I mean I think I think these they're really, um, you know, they're re- a really interesting set of teaching practices. And it is interesting, you know, and I don't know the NCTM standards well enough to talk about this. No, um, do I. But, but, uh, but that they're, the standards for what kids are doing sound like they're a little less focused on process 
than the teaching practices, which I think is interesting. I don't, I don't know what to make of that exactly. Say, say more about that. What, like, how do you differentiate? Well, the ones that you were talking about, and I, you know, again, I don't have the, I don't have the NCTM standards in front of me, so maybe I should be careful. Um, but, uh, but like these, these um, practices are all about, um, about practice. They're about process. What right. kinds of processes do you want to engage kids in? And, um, and at least the ones that you read at the top of the show from the, the standards seemed more, um, more pro, uh, product oriented rather than process oriented. Right. So, you yeah, know, I like think, what is I the think... science they're going to learn or the math that they're going to learn? What is the goal? I think a lot of these are ones in which, you know, if we took a little white out and, you know, whited out anything that said mathematics are pretty close to things that we'd want to see in most classes in school, right? We want teachers to ask questions. We want them to set goals. We want them to, you know, support productive struggle, whether it's in, you know, a science class or an art class or a like an English class with writing. I mean, come on, like how much productive struggle goes on in, in an English class when, you know, you're trying to write an essay and you go through these multiple revisions. I mean, come on, that would be, you know, absolutely something. Uh, build procedural fluency from conceptual understanding, like understand something before you like start writing your, you know, five yeah. paragraph essay or whatever. Right. It's like, right. like a lot of these are, are practices that I think, while you know they're focusing in on mathematics, I, I think they're a lot of them are so awesome that yeah. they they could go in so many classes. Yeah, so no, I agree with that. And and so I am looking now at the NCTM, and they do have content standards. So, but they also have process standards. So, um, sort of like we have the science and engineering practices, they have process standards about problem solving, right. reasoning, and proof, communication, connection, and representation. Um, so, so they are, they do have that focus. Um, I don't know, you know, it'd be interesting to, at some point to dig in and see whether they do similar things to the NGSS in that they try to combine these processes with the content standards to do some sort of performance expectation that incorporates both of them. But, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it's interesting to think about why and how math and science are different, even though we put them all together under STEM and say, oh, look at them. They're all big, happy family. Um, well, even engineering, like like we we talk a little bit about engineering and uh, in our work with the NGSS and certainly with the state standards. But if you go over to like the, you know, we have a um, one of the two tech ed programs in the mm, state of Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. right? So... There's only two certifying bodies, certifying institutions for uh, technology education in the state of Pennsylvania. It's Millersville and one other one. And so, you know, I work with those students pretty regularly because they're part of our PDS. And so I go out and observe them. And, you know, I have, I think, three of the interns I work with this semester are, are uh, tech ed uh, students. And their perspectives on engineering, while there's some, you know, they certainly dip into the NGSS they have their own standards too. Like they yeah. have engineering education has their own separate set of standards yeah. that, I mean, we could probably spend an episode looking in parallel, you know, paralleling those, if that's a verb paralleling, yeah. cross walking, cross walking those, mm -hmm. you know, to take a look at how 
the engineering that's in the NGSS, how those, you know, reflect or don't the ones that are in engineering education. And so the assumption that even though we've put these all under the the big STEM umbrella, there's a lot of differences, right? They're like, yeah. they're, they exist as these separate communities that sort of like spill over into each other here and there. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. No, I mean, it's fascinating. And then the ISTE standards, which you mentioned before, are sort of complement a bunch of these, but sure. don't, don't overlap with any of them exactly. And so there's, yeah. Because um, the so, ISTE folks, they're seeing themselves as more, not technology in terms of like CAD or like, you know, that sort of technology. Yeah, coding. Like coding. They, ISTE sees itself as more like t- technology in education, like technology that yeah. you would use in your classroom, classroom educational technology, you know? Yeah. And how do we bring tech, that kind of technology and to support student learning across all content areas? So it's mm-hmm. weird how like the, this, you know, this landscape of technology and science and enge- engineering and all this stuff is sort of like, you know, yeah, it's a standard like all the standards that go on, it, it is a messy place. <laughs> yeah, it is a messy place. But, you know, I mean, the truth is every place is messy once you dig into it, right? I mean, sure. every every place is complicated. It's just that we superficially think they aren't on the surface. So we're like, oh, yeah. 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 Sure. That place so, is easy. My place is hard. That place is easy. Well, I, I, I will say, like you talked about the processes, um, the process standards, there's an, another thing on here. They say principal standards and 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 process standards, and the principles. These are pretty good ones. Equity curriculum. They have specific principles around equity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not going to get any B from us on that. Curriculum, mm-hmm. teaching, learning, assessment, and technology. All of those have specific uh, principles. We talked about the content standards, and then we, and then you took off. Uh, took and uh, mentioned the uh, five process standards. So I mean, you know. I don't know if they're three-dimensional in nature, but maybe they're just like subsets of of the things that are happening in, you know, science class. I mean, mathematics classrooms. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Cool. Yeah. All right. What All about right. Some, you have some joys? I have. I have a joy. <clears throat> I have a joy. Um, so this week, as we mentioned, this was Thanksgiving last week, um, but it also is the end of football season. So um, for, for the regular season for a lot of places. And so my joy this week was, um, I grew up in Ann Arbor as a Michigan football person. Uh, I'm now at Penn state and people always ask me like, Oh, who do you root for? Who do you root for when Penn state plays Michigan? Um, but I'm not going to talk about that today. What I am (laughs) going to say is that, um, I was lucky enough. My, my dad is a, is a pretty avid, Michigan sports fan, particularly football and basketball and has season tickets. And so this Saturday I was able to go up and go to the Michigan Ohio state game. And of course the good guys won and Michigan uh, beat Ohio state at home. This is the third time in a row for them beating Ohio state, which is a big deal. Um, But uh, it was a fantastic game as you would expect and i really enjoyed it and it was great to be there with my dad seeing it and uh and yeah so it it and there was a heck of a game it was, it a, was heck. a heck of a game and there were a lot of ups and downs and um there were some cool moments um there was some sad moments um one of the one of the michigan players was hurt quite badly we heard later 
uh, broke his tibia and fibia. They they don't even play. They didn't even replay the the play where it got broken. Uh, it was that's obviously always, bad that's, news. Yeah, that's the worst. But when the it, very next play, Michigan scored a touchdown. Um, and you know that there was sort of a sense that that was the inevitability, right? Like that's what what had to happen after Zach went out. So, um, it was. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I don't go to that many football games. I, I I'm not a avid football fan like my dad is, but um, I watch it and I like it. And I and being in a stadium, seeing a game like that is, um, is pretty amazing. So that that yeah, was my joy. Yeah, I, I I caught a little bit of that on uh on Saturday. We were we had spent the day in in Philadelphia, and then I I caught some of it when we got mm-hmm. home. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, what a game! What a game! Yeah. Uh, cause I, you know, I got home and I was like, oh, there's still like, you know, some time in the fourth quarter and it's really close. I'm, I'll finish watching the game. And it's right. like, wow. All right. My, my joy, burner. it was a barn, barn burner. Um, mine is like oddly specific, but I'm going to give oddly. it to you anyway. Okay. So I, we were, uh, uh, my wife and I were doing a little, uh, Christmas present shopping recently mm-hmm. and we were at the, yes, old, you do. At, at the old target. And I always like to take a, like a little gander at what the new things are in terms of the, the candies. And maybe these things are, you know, mm. new, I don't know, but I came across the Tootsie roll snowball. Oh, God. <laughs> Oddly specific. <laughs> yes. So, okay. So I gotta say, I, I, I like a Tootsie roll, you know, okay. like if I, well, so cause that's... it's kind of, it's like, you get the chocolate without like really the commitment, right? You get the chocolate flavor. It's, it's not like, you know, what like kind, a pe- what kind of commitment is required of just regular chocolate? Well, no, if you like, I, it's, I, I think chocolate can be really just, rich, right? Yeah, Cho- okay. So like sometimes when I like, I'll, you know, eat some chocolate and I'll be like, oh, that's really rich. Yeah. And, it's, and, but the Tootsie Roll, you get all the flavor and none of that, none of the richness, you know, it's kind of like, hmm, it's kind of hmm. like, the comparison between like chocolate milk and like a yoohoo, like a yoohoo, that is, you know, you get all it's a chocolate drink, right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. chocolate milk can be pretty heavy and rich, you know. I see. So the yoohoo is the tootsie roll of milk. So you got saying. it. Right. Okay. Yeah, you know. So the tootsie tootsie roll snowball. All right, they're like small <laughs> spheres of of tootsie roll. Seems on target and covered with a uh, a white candy coating. Okay. okay. Not so, not coconut. No. Just, no. White like white chocolate or something. Yeah, it's hard candy. It's like a hard, like so. It's not like a snowball in terms of like the big, you know. So like wait, the, does this become like a Tootsie Pop sort of operation? No, they're real small. They're like maybe like a quarter an inch, half inch. But and, but, uh, but in terms of like, do you suck on these? No, these are you, chew, you, these you, are you crunch them. You, you crunch them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's okay. there, there's no coconut. This is coconut free. Yeah, coconut free. Okay. And yeah. and yeah, if you see them, get some or go on tootsieroll.com where you can, you know, <laughs> which is fascinating. <laughs> I can only imagine. Well, I didn't know all this stuff was under the Tootsie Roll umbrella, the like the, oh. the, the you know, the Tootsie Roll universe. <laughs> there is so much that's out there under the Tootsie Roll the universe. TCU, and, the Tootsie Roll candy <laughs> universe. Yes. <laughs> but 
Keep your eyes open for the Tootsie Roll Snowball because it is a fine piece of candy. Oh, coming to the T- <laughs> TCU near you soon. And I suspect it's just a Christmas thing. I suspect that if you, you got to get it while it's out there because then yeah. it's gone. Because yeah. that's the other thing. I like scarcity stuff. Yeah, like, you like false I, scarcity. Yeah, I do. Like, it's yeah. like, okay. Well, it's like you and the Kringle, right? Like, yeah. if you, you, you're like, okay, I got to buy a Kringle. It's got to buy a Kringle. Yeah. Right, it's Kringle season. Yeah. Oh, and and this I think could be one of those. Oh, look at like we also are big fans of the uh, hot cocoa Hershey Kisses. Oh, okay. You also only, seasonal. Only see only Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes. I mean, this is uh you know this is one of those deep questions about seasonality that you have to you know this is like uh are you allowed to eat peaches outside of peach season? Or are you allowed to have pie outside of pie season? Are you allowed to have Tootsie Roll snowballs? Like, are, can you buy like 50 bags, put them in, in your basement and then eat them in like, say, March? Or is that no, no? These are a know. thing that, well, I know, but these are the big questions. The, I mean, if we really want to talk about the big questions, we talk about all this other stuff, this science stuff, who cares? But if we really want to talk <laughs> about the big questions, big well, questions think- are like, do you restrict yourself to... Um, seasonal things when you could in some way subvert that. And, you know, like I could buy 50 Kringle, put them in the freezer in my basement and have a Kringle every, every week of the year. I see, I think you could, but you won't. And I don't think it's based on choice. And I also don't think it's based on, you know, uh, your, you know, it's that uh, like training, right? Like you, Oh, this is what I, I eat at Christmas time. I think there's something built into us that like in the summer we experience life differently than we experience it in in winters. Like if you think about like you know historically you know beer, like the type of beer people drink in the summer isn't mm. just based on you know, I mean if they're out there in the hot weather, no one's drinking like a porter or mm. like a stout. You I know, see. well, what about the equatorial people who live you, in places where it's the same temperature all year round? Then what do you do? I don't think they're drinking stouts and porters at all. Wow. I think that is the, a hot take from from Holly Drea. People in equatorial countries do not drink. You think? No, no. Well, I'm, I, maybe it's true. I don't know. Do you think if you went to like I don't know, like for a vacation in in Mexico in January, mm. which in January, like you go to a local beer distributor and you're going to find lots of, you know, porters and stouts and yeah. you know. You think you're going to get like a barley port, wines, a barley wine, you know, yeah. like, like every Christmas beer that you look at. If you go down the aisles, at your local beer distributor. Every Christmas beer, none of them are like, you know, a, you know, a Mexican lager. Right. I mean, mm. they're n- nothing like yellow. It's all like dark, dark, dark brown. Right. Right. OK. Yeah. Like no one's sitting at the beach uh, drinking hot cocoa. Right. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's (laughs) no one's in the summer just going, Hey, you know, I could really go for some hot cocoa today, you know? Yeah. I'm just saying like, so what does that mean about seasonal Tootsie Rolls that people in Mexico can't eat them? When do they get to eat them? On the same time we do. I I think they, they can go to their (laughs) local target today and get themselves a Tootsie Roll snowball. Right. It's probably got a different name in Mexico or Canada too. It's probably (laughs) like maybe. Yeah. Yeah. The Canadian uh, version has probably got more white stuff on the outside because it's colder up there or something. I don't know. How do you how do you do that? I don't know. Maybe don't the know. maybe the Tootsie Roll in Mexico has Mexican chocolate in the center. That'd be good. I'd like that. Yeah. 
Right. I, I, you do have to check out the Tootsie Roll site, the Tootsie Roll Industries. That's the parent company. Oh, there I, are. I still like the TCU Tootsie Roll Candy Universe. Yeah, they're like. I'm not a big fan of the Midgey. Not, not my thing. I think, our, I think our show is over now. <laughs> I think we need to stop punishing people with. She's going to read whatever this nonsense has become. <laughs> well, it's better than the things you were talking about before the show, right? <laughs> well, that, that's not saying much. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks for being here. This yeah. kind of nonsense is what's driving our metrics through the roof. It's through the roof. People, this is this is why the people come is for this stupid they do. stuff at the end. The Tootsie yeah. Roll candy. Yeah. The Tootsie Roll candy universe. No All doubt. Right. All right. Well, we'll catch you next time. In between. See you there. Bye now. <laughs>